It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Mari Forth. And I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, a true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We do indeed. <laughs> so let's open up today's file, Mari. We watched Bad Sport. Yes. Uh, so, mm, Bad Sport, <laughs> it's a six-part um, series of standalone episodes looking at uh, sporting scandals. Uh, this was uh, impelled by the invitation from Grace Leader, the host of Offspeed Podcast, fabulous sports podcast, and we did a very deep dive into episode four of Bad Sport, Gold War, with her. Um, that was the scandal surrounding the figure skating final at the 2002 Winter Olympics. We'll drop our chat uh, with Grace uh, later in the podcast. But uh, what we thought uh, you and I would do today is look at the other five episodes in brief. How does that sound? Yes, this was such a great uh, series. Um, And I think I think I don't I feel like it's a buried gem on Netflix. So I'm so glad that we could uh, revisit it. We can um, shed a little bit more light on the other episodes. So that way, if you if you heard us on the off speed podcast, no worries. We are going to be covering new content here today. And plus, uh, you can just fast forward through the off speed um, uh, content that we will add in here. But you will get all of our recommendations, suggestions, all of that at the end of the podcast like you normally do. Sounds good to me. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get into like bad sport in like the first episode. Like I didn't realize. So I watched I watched a few episodes. Right. I watched a few episodes. I was like, okay, this is cool. This is easy viewing, you know. And then when the opportunity came for us to talk to Grace and I had been like, oh, well, let's try. Let's let's do bad sport, you know, and it was kind of a mutual decision to do it. So then I went back and I watched of course, the Gold War again. And then subsequently, you know, to cover it for our show today, I went back and watched a few more of them. And watching it from the pure entertainment standpoint first, and then watching it at with like a critical eye the second time, honestly just made this series so enjoyable to watch. Um, how How do you feel about the series in general? 
uh, Sarah. Look, it's very well made. Uh, it's yes. very procedural and I love, you know, I love process. And mm-hmm. so one, one thing, um, that I did like about it is they take you by the hand and it doesn't matter if you don't even know what a basketball is. They will, <laughs> you know, take you through all the moves. Um, there, I think there's something for everyone. So I'm not, uh, particularly a sports person. I'm not anti-sports. I'm sort of sports neutral. Uh, so <laughs> if you are a, a crime person and not necessarily a sport person, don't be put off. Uh, they are entertaining. There's one that I'll not recommend, but the other five are excellent. And each, uh, most with a different director, there's one that doubles up, but the style is very clean uh, mm-hmm. It's very informative. You always know where you are, and uh, I just uh, just watching them again, and with a with a more critical eye, as you say, uh, I just thought, God, these are really good. <laughs> yes, yes, good point. Good point about not needing to know the sport because yeah, there are several. There are a couple sports in here. Like I have no idea what cricket is, but they mm. did a great job of you know walking me through it. And the good thing is, I get to t- I get to explain basketball to you, and you get to explain cricket to me today. Like that's also so good. Like, it's so cool. Like, I really, truly feel feel like I learned um, a lot from a lot of these episodes, which that's, you know, I love. <laughs> I love to learn new things. Yeah. Uh, especially through a documentary format. So, yes, yeah, so enjoyable. So really well made. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yes. It, you know, our biggest thing here is like we like we're reviewing. You know, we we review documentaries and stuff like that, but we we are here. What we feel makes us different is we like to talk about the theatrical aspect of of everything, and and I just think these are really really well done. Um, to look t- and also taken taken as a whole, like you can watch one and and watch another and watch another. You, it's not right. a, it's not a binge necessarily, and yes, I probably exactly. would I would not recommend binging. But one thing that's very interesting is because it's about scandal and uh, you know match fixing of various kinds. What's fascinating when you take them as a whole is where is the locus of control within a certain sport? And within Mm. each one, as we see in each episode, there's a different position that is in control of, you know, points or what, or, or or winning, losing, whatever it might be. And I found that fascinating to think about, like, it's almost like a who's in charge. Um, Mm -hmm. So in this first one, I mean, do you want to get us started? Yeah. I didn't know how much control the, I'm going to say a new word, point guard <laughs> has. Yes. So the first episode is entitled Hoop Schemes. It was directed by uh, Luke uh, Sewell. I hope I'm, I'm, I'm saying that right. But this is basically, this episode is about the 1994 Arizona State uh, point shaving scandal, which this was the one that drew me into the, the bad sports Um you know, into the property itself because I saw the I saw the dot the the trailer on Netflix and I was like basketball, yeah, I know basketball. Like everybody knows basketball here here in America. And this was so interesting. And then it made me jump around to the other one. So basically what happened was uh we had a, a star of the Arizona State basketball team, um Steven Headache Smith. He is the point guard of the Arizona State Sun Devils. I think that's their mascot along with his teammate Isaac Ice Burton, who was a shooting guard, they gambled on games that they were in. And 
effectively point shave for a a bookie. Um, um, he's the bookie, Joe Gagliano. Um, he is actually featured in the episode as well, along with the, uh, the journalist that kind of like helped break this this um, this story, uh, Kent Sommer. So, to to put it as quickly as possible, uh, Stephen Smith. He was a great basketball player. He was like going places. He was like he just knew he was destined to be in the NBA, but you know, with college sports, they don't get paid. Like it, it, there's been recent legislation that has overturned like um, um, college athletes getting paid. But honestly, these kids would be going to these large universities, um, making these large universities millions of millions of dollars. And then they'd only be on scholarship. And then they had all of these strict rules of what they couldn't like, what was considered a gift or a bribe. And, and, they could only use a certain amount of money a week. Like it, it's really hard. We've we've heard this story and this song and dance so many times. That's why when we were on with Grace and the Off Speed podcast, we talked about how point shaving is like one of the number one sports scandals because point shaving and gambling go hand in hand when it comes to like crime, when it comes to sports. So um what did Can you, you think just about uh, give us give us the mm-hmm. the quick rundown on point shaving? I now understand it, having watched the documentary. Yeah, but it it was a phrase I'd heard, but I hadn't actually understood. And to me, this was fascinating because I thought, yes. well, if you're going to get if you're going to bet on a game and you're the favourites to win, as the Sun Devils were, mm-hmm. then the bet would be that you would lose instead of winning. And this is very probably obvious and gross. What to me right. was fascinating was you still win. But uh, no, you explain point shaving. I, 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 <laughs> you know, you're good. I, I, I you got so job. far that I, then I fell off my skates. <laughs> so, so the good thing is they, and th- this is what I love about this this first episode. They illustrate it for you. They use an illustration every time. It didn't even matter if they had already explained it at the beginning. They used an illustration every time, so you knew exactly what it meant. So, yes, like Sarah said. Uh, the Arizona State Sun Devils, they were a really good team. So most of the time, they were the favorites to beat the other team. So the first team, I think, was Oregon, Oregon State, right? Yeah. So if you're the favorite to win, when you're betting, they're saying the favorite is going to win by 12 points, okay? So if you, if you uh, bet, for, uh, if you put your money on the underdog, uh, as in if you're betting for the underdog to at least beat what is called the line, because the line is set at what the um, what they think the outcome of the game is. So if the favorite um, is favorited to win, if they're favorited to win by 12 points, the line is set at 12 points, which means if the underdog, if the underdog can um, they don't need to win, like Sarah said. If if the underdog does win, then you just outright you win the bet if you bet on the underdog. However, if the underdog at least doesn't lose by more than by more than that twelve, then you also win that bet. Did I get that? Yeah. I got that right, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and that's from um, the underdog, yeah, yeah, point of view. And mm-hmm. so, so what you have, what you have to do if you are the gambler, like uh, lovely Joe Galliano, is yeah. you get someone who's in control of the game, and and you say, look, I know you hate losing because you're an athlete, uh, so you get still win, but win by a much smaller margin than 
than most, you know, uh, of the betting would would say that you're going to. So with the 12 example from Mari, uh, he would give uh, Stephen Headache Smith, he would say, can you please not win by more than six? Yeah. Uh, so he had a little bit of a range there. And each time that Joe gave Stephen a number, he hit it exactly. I mean, it was absolutely extraordinary. The control mm-hmm. that this young man had, and here's the tragedy, he was heading for the NBA and he did not make it there because this scandal blew up. Now, mm-hmm. w- when I watched this um, hoop schemes, I understood so much about uh, the the college basketball scene. I understood exactly how the bets were going. I understood where the crime was. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that they do steer away from in all six of them is they steer away from politics, but the politics is present, if you know what I mean, and we'll see that Mm. in the second episode. Um, So they're not overtly political, but here, and I I at first thought, oh, I wanted a bit more about this, but then when you take the series as a whole, you see that it has a a particular uh, um, point of view. So the thing for me was these young athletes, and they are young, uh, working their asses off. They are, they are also, also black, black and they, they are, are also black. like from underserved communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get them to your university, you pay them this scholarship, but Ice Burton was telling us about always being hungry and that they yep. would go to other dorms. I, I mean, I'm just about to cry. They would go to mm-hmm. other dorms and beg other college students for leftover food. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what is yes. what is going Be- on? Because it's because it's so funny because the 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 way that the pendulum swings is like if I remember correctly when it comes to like college like college kids are not allowed to make money off of themselves their images or anything like that at least that that was the case up until this this just changed like a year or two ago Sarah like it just legislation just passed in order for them to be able to um uh cash in essentially on themselves so before this point not only were they not allowed to make money but they actually had to be really careful as to how they conducted themselves so that they wouldn't even be thought to be taking money in any way shape or form um so that's why a lot of these athletes they would get their um they would get their scholarships and then they would get that allotment so isaac isaac burton would say oh we got like 130 dollars a month which for a college student is not a lot of money, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then I remember with like the whole Reggie Bush thing, it's like, if you go somewhere and somebody pays for your dinner, say you walk into a restaurant, they they say how they were the big guys on campus. Everybody knew who they were. But like, if they walked into a restaurant and the owner made like a big old deal about them not paying for their meal, that could honestly get them in trouble. Because mm-hmm. technically, that's almost like them profiting off themselves. So that's why um, some of these college college students were in such a worse way. Now, I can't even get we don't have time to get into like like uh, what is it? SMU, if I remember correctly, did the same type of thing. They had boosters who would specifically pay money on the low for some of the I think it was the football program for the for the kids like it. It was just such a college sports in general is such a it's like a billion dollar industry and the fact that basically none of that money goes to the actual athletes themselves that's the reason why it's been you know very much uh, (laughs) uh wrongfully but 
um, like compared to slavery, it's a, it is another like form of slavery in the sense like it it's wrongfully in the sense like it that diminishes what slavery truly was, but rightfully so in the sense like these 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 athletes are are working their blood, sweat, and tears, and they are getting essentially nothing for it. The only thing they can yeah. hope is to make it big one day in the NBA or in the NFL, and we all know only what one percent of that actually of people that actually happens to so. yeah i mean Stephen smith himself talks about uh, and and he is he is with us now uh mm-hmm. as a very thoughtful uh older man a fantastic uh, narrator of his thoughts and feelings as is um ice burton um but he talks about Stephen Smith talks about well I was going to go to the NBA and that's where the millions were yep. and this also seems like this carrot that's held out in front of these uh, young men and I'm saying men now because we're talking mm-hmm. about uh, men's men's basketball you know do this now and in the future or in the never never you will get mm. this huge payoff uh, and because of the scandal um, because they were uh, discovered. Um, he never made it to the NBA. He did play basketball professionally, but yeah. not at the heights that uh, that was expected. And one of the reasons was is in order to, to uh, shave points in, I think, uh, one of the games that they were attempting to uh, shave points and make money on, there were NBA uh, scouts in the audience and he had uh, one of his uh, teammates was suddenly playing so brilliantly that he had to play really badly in front of the scouts. Um, I mean, that was one thing, and and the the shame, I suppose, of that to to someone who was rightfully proud of his prowess is that's the crime. Yeah, strangely, the gambling. And- yes, I know it's illegal, but the crime is this, um, uh, you know, servitude basically that these and- that these young men are under. And even worse, which I feel like is he was only he was getting paid twenty thousand dollars a game to do this point shaving, putting his future at risk and all of that. And he was only making twenty thousand dollars, but that's not included. I think he paid five was it five thousand or two thousand to ICE. So mm-hmm. ICE would have done it for two hundred, right? I mean, this exactly. Is, this is how desperate these kids were. Exactly. The first meanwhile, time it was 200 and he was thrilled. <laughs> right. And meanwhile, Joe Gagliano, the bookie, um, he he makes at, at the top of this, he makes $5 million. He's yes. making $5 million. They're making 20000 40000 At most was the most headache ever made was 40000 You know, and it it's just like even in this endeavor, this criminal endeavor, he's still getting the short end of the stick because it's his future that's irrevocable, irre- irre- you know, <laughs> messed up. Irreparably <laughs> damaged. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah. this is, I mean, this, this was fantastic. I mean, the episodes are uh, just over an hour long. And at first you mm-hmm. think, oh, an hour and six, that's quite long for an episode of television. But they do fly by because it's the intrigue and the interest and the way each one is built up. Truly, yeah. um, shall we move on to episode two? I will speak about this Please. briefly. It's called mm-hmm. Need for Weed. It's directed by Miles Blade and Ryle, and it it in itself is not a a bad episode of television. Uh, I um, I'll tell you what it was. It's Randy Lanier who was a weed dealer and race car mm-hmm. driver, and if you're interested in importing. Uh, 
marijuana from overseas. Watch this. It's pretty extraordinary. Uh, where I feel that this um, doesn't really fit with the rest is the crime and the sport are separate. He happened to be a race driver mm. and he was a weed dealer. He used the uh, the sale of um, marijuana to fund his uh, race car lifestyle. But where I felt oh, it doesn't quite fit with the rest is the rest uh, talk about the, you know, illegal activities, the bad actions within the sport itself. And to me, that was more interesting. So exactly. um, we can just sort of move on from that one. I'm I'm only not recommending it because I think thematically for me it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's um look it's well made uh he was importing an eye-watering amount of <laughs> of great stuff and uh sentenced to life without parole um in 1988 uh, that was at a time where you know apparently you were just supposed to say no to drugs um right. the three strikes and all of that but he was released in 2014 thanks obama <laughs> yeah not, not right. much there there's not much there. Um, now, one, uh, this might have been my absolute favourite was episode three, which okay. is uh, Football Gate, directed by Alex Keel. Uh, this is about soccer or mm-hmm. football, as most yeah. people call it. <laughs> but I'll I'll say soccer because uh, you know that that will that will land in our ears a little better, I think. So it's about the two thousand four two thousand five Serie R match-fixing scandal. Uh, this is the highest league uh, in um, – uh, this is the Italian league, and it is about two giants of money and privilege. So Silvio Berlusconi, you may know, the ex-Prime uh, Minister of Italy, um, was the, the one of the owners of AC Milan. Mm. And uh, Luciano Moggi was uh, in charge of Juventus and uh, the family that owned this owned Fiat, uh, Ferrari. I mean, we are talking like huge amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And the intriguing thing here is we were talking about like where does the the control lie and with the the, um, basketball it was um, the player. Mm-hmm, the point yep. guard, and here it's the referees. This Ooh. is fascinating. Yeah. So um, the the crime is uh, match fixing through getting to the referees. Now there were several ways that the referees were controlled. Uh, one is if you give uh, judgments against Juventus. You might find that you are relegated to Serie B, in other words, the lower-ranked uh, league. Uh, mm. There's a question about whether Luciano Moggi locked a referee in the dressing room and walked away. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's recorded on wiretap saying he did it. Uh, so there were there were threats to referees who disagreed with you, and then there were inducements, shall we say, to referees who would give you good calls. So if uh, briefly the thing about soccer is if you foul the other team, they get to have free kicks. I'm not going to go any more deeply into that. Yeah. Uh, look up soccer on Wikipedia and figure out how to play it. But basically if you imagine um, that that is the place where the referee can have a lot of control is to say, yes, 
you were fouled, so you're able to have this sort of free shot at goal or a free shot somewhere, or mm-hmm. no, you weren't. Um, and the other way that the that the referees influence the game is to give players yellow cards, which is like a warning, uh, right. and uh, red cards where they're sent off altogether. And if you get a certain number of yellow cards, you get a suspension. So here's the interesting thing, and the reason I went into yellow cards and red cards is the fascinating thing is not only were the referees influencing the games that Juventus were playing, the team Juventus, they were influencing the games of the team's that Juventus was about to play. So in a game previous to a match with Juventus, they could give yellow cards to players who were up for a suspension. If you get three, you get suspended. And in one particular case, a referee managed to suspend three players from a team that was about to to uh, play Juventus, so came in with a much weaker team. That is that is just, like, so crazy to me. Like It's so wild that you can have that much influence over referees and they can be that impactful. Like I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent over here in America. And the only thing I can think of is that there was a, an NBA, I think it was an NBA referee who was, who would, um, he was gambling on teams. So he would, uh, if, and he was doing that same type of thing. Like he needed the line. He needed all of that. So if one team was getting too close, he would, he would foul out their, their most important player, something like that. And that's, and that was, but that was just like the one guy, you know, still a little bit more speculation on if it was bigger, but this just seems like massive. It's absolutely, absolutely massive. Uh, so, um, I'm interesting again in the, in this, um, in this series of documentaries, who is the narrator? Um, uh, we had, uh, young Stephen Smith and the, um, gamblers narrators of the first, uh, episode. In this third episode, it's the investigators. They mm-hmm. were wiretapping. So we have wiretaps. We have that, um, uh, you know, intriguing. Are they going to be able to, to get, catch these criminals? Uh, is there connection to organized crime? And then the astonishing thing is, uh, they wiretap a discussion between Moji and the head of the referees association, uh, talking about the grid of which referees will referee which games. They discuss it. And then we see two days later these tombolas, if you know what I mean, where you put the balls in and you turn the thing and you pull it out and it's supposed to be random. And these random draws of referees to games matched exactly what had been said on the wiretap. So it was a huge uh, scandal. And um, I will say for for those of you who find – that you want to do other things while you're watching television. You have to actually watch this unless your Italian is very good because <laughs> about half of it's in Italian, but with like excellent, um, so, uh, excellent subtitles and, uh, you will follow it, uh, very well. So we have some, some English, uh, football commentators as well. We have, uh, mostly this lead investigator. And then I literally gasped when three quarters of the way through, uh, Luciano Moggi himself sits down for an interview. So they had extraordinary access. So this might have been my favourite, but as we discuss each one, I'm sure I'm going to say that each one uh, is my (laughs) favourite. Yeah. Another good point there, the access to the people that were telling the stories for each one of these 
amazing. They they literally had the first hand accounts from all of the major players in, in most of these um these docuseries. So and I guess it's just kind of a tribute to like this this is true crime and we get it. You guys want murders and stuff like this. But th- this is crime that you know you people do a year or two and then they can come on and, and give the full insight <laughs> to the breadth of the scandal, you know, which I, I'm I'm cool with. Mm, no, that's I really recommend that one. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to, uh, of course, uh, Gold War. We discussed that with Grace. You can find that um, a little bit later in this uh, in this broadcast. We will put the timestamps as well to make sure um, you can know where to find that. Uh, but also uh, Horse Hitman is episode <sighs> number five. <sighs> and this one was wee doggy um this one was directed by miles bladen ryle and uh, georgina uh, camilleri wow so <laughs> how okay it, it, i mean it's in the title it's called horse hitman but basically <laughs> tommy burns this man goes from basically being a groom in the 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 horse sporting world the equestrian world to rising up to the ranks to eventually becoming a horse hitman um this was a really good episode in the in the effect that we we got a lot more background into like equestrian the sport of like equestrian sports i i know nothing about equestrian sports except for that my little sister is an equestrian and all i know is she's really good at riding horses um but this really if you're interested in learning more about that this really lets you know that the reason why it's one of those sports uh it's one of those access and money sports. It's the main reason why it's like those same families are the ones that are in the sport. They're the ones that they're the the names of the sports. We had some famous family names from this one. We had Budweiser. Um, help me out, Sarah. It was like it was like it was Budweiser. It was like these old old family names where um, the family would buy the horses. Those horses would run under that family's lineage and either it, it might, they might have one of the family members being the, 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 I don't think that's jockey. I want to say jockey, but I think that's horse racing. Yeah. It's um, rider. A rider. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, or it might just be an, another rider. They would buy the horse and, and just sponsor it um, for another rider. But like it, the biggest thing about this, well, I, I'm, I know I'm going on and on and on, but the biggest thing about this was these families, some of these families would hire this man tommy burns to kill their horses so that they can collect the insurance and that was the it this is one of the most disturbing ones in this in this series i would say sarah yeah, very um, very much so and and again we have tommy burns with us today yeah uh, and he i mean we uh, i think alone of all the episodes we go right into his background you know yeah uh, poor poor boy thrown out at 16 hopped on a bus mm-hmm. saw a show jumping arena got off the bus and said you know give me a job he was taken in by one of these wealthy owners and saw him as a father and even today he tears up thinking about their relationship which um but for me, I was thinking, why would you kill a horse, just sell it or something like that? But right. again, the process is beautifully explained that mm-hmm. these horses are overvalued. So um, Tommy's first, uh, the horse that he first killed was called Henry the Hawk. And 
insured for $150,000, but could only be sold for $120,000. I mean, how you've got so much money, you wealthy owner have so much money, but no, they wanted that extra $30,000. They killed them. I can I can explain it. Yeah, yes, I was going to say, let me do that because I know you. I know it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. So what they would have to do is because you can't just you know you can't just kill a horse. Obviously, if you want that insurance money, so Tommy actually came up with this this very sick like horse execution device where basically he would hook the horse up to like an elect- electricity he would pin one clamp to the horse's ear and then and then insert like an uh, an electrified like he can he would insert like a it was like a rod or something into the horse's anus so that then they could electrocute the horse that way and when you electrocute the horse through the anus uh, when they die, it doesn't leave any burn marks on the outer of of the the skin. The only place that a burn mark can be seen is inside the anus. But no no vet, veterinarian is going to look for that if they don't know that's what they should be looking for. And the electroshock acts like it. It. it I think they explain it as it kind of um, contorts the stomachs. The horses horses have. I think. Uh, I think they have multiple stomachs. I, I can't remember. I'm sorry. But it would it would contort the stomach so that it would look like the horses died of colic. And colic is uh, like one of those things that reasonably takes horses out. And it can be a sudden, it, it can be sudden. It could be like, it's basically the natural causes of horse death. It's like the number one natural cause of, of horse death. So electrocuting them the way that they did caused it to look like natural causes. Yeah, uh, one stomach. I just did a quick look. One stomach. Okay, great. One stomach. House, Sorry, I, I house, yeah. Cows have more than one. But uh, yes, you were you were very involved in. Uh, I mean, beautifully explained. And I'm sorry to readers who were, were delicate. Uh, in a weird way, it's kind of ingenious. I mean, this is right. Yeah. Go. This is awful. like yeah. awful, but it's clever because yeah, colic is a problem. And uh, the thing about. Um, Thoroughbreds is they're they're very uh, highly strung, and so they do have these these uh, these problems. They killed so many horses, so like, so many. many horses. Tommy said at one point he was electrocuting about three horses a week, and and like he he couldn't he didn't even give up his middleman really, but he he was being connected to all of these different owners. It wasn't just one owner's horse. Like whenever, basically he became the horse boogeyman. It was like, if the owners were like, okay, I have this horse, they're not doing too well in the show. You know, some of the horses were insured for up to $200,000. I think we saw, and they would just be like, they're like, let's, let's get the horse guy in here. Like it was real hush hush, but like, it was like an open secret almost in the horse world. Um, There was a shocking, a shocking moment, you know, to me where here that Tommy talked about quite casually about a woman just coming up to him at a, at a, at a, at a meeting, an event and just saying, Oh, I believe you kill horses. It's like, yeah, what is going on? I mean, it's massive. And you think too about this idea of ownership, Mm -hmm. you own the horse you paid a certain amount of money for it. It's not performing in the way that you want it to perform. And so you kill it to get the money. It's, it, it, 
I, I can't express my disgust enough for this. And these are people who have plenty of money. Plenty exactly. Of money. Exactly. So That's the biggest thing. I, like these are millionaires yeah. who are killing their horses for a few extra thousand hundred thousand uh, thousands of dollars yeah yeah the the difference between the resale value and the insured value um it's it's uh i'm quite hard to shock (laughs) yeah yeah i was and it was the amount like when he killed one oh how terrible and then it was three a week and Mm -hmm. he the number is is very high so this went on for about 10 years um And as you say, an open secret uh, until the FBI uh, investigated and um, it all came to an end. I hope, hope no one's electrocuting horses now. Right. Um, he, Tommy was sentenced to a year, so five months. He basically told them absolutely everything they wanted to know. So yay, Tommy. Yep, yay, Tommy. Yeah, he told on everybody. Uh, 36 people were indicted and uh, 35 convicted. So while he was the one making the actions uh in this case it was the uh, the the big the kingpins and queenpins uh who were convicted and can i say yay eat the rich yeah exactly so it, that one was hard but it was i i i would suggest people definitely watch it only because it's so interesting the amount of money and and influence and it's just how these horses were just property to people. And then I, I liked how in this one we got uh, one of the writers was sitting down and talking to her. I think it was the writer yeah. of Henry the Hawk, who mm-hmm. she was talking about how she loved that horse. And he just suddenly died and she couldn't believe it. And then once she found out what had happened, she was pissed, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, again, as I say, the, it's not the, the show, the episodes aren't political, but the politics is there. Uh, Tommy talks about being friends uh, with the daughter of this man who took him in as a son. And she talks about, well, we were friendly, but I didn't really know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we speak to another groom, Harlow Ali, who was also involved uh, with mm-hmm. Tommy. And he talks about, yeah, they let you know, like they let you know that you were nothing to them. So yeah. there is this very uh, nicely uh, displayed, you know, class and uh, yes, lots of classism. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, because the classism. These people have no class. That's the that's the thing. So, <laughs> uh, if you're worried about watching it because um, you're upset about horses dying, it's it, it's an it, it's the concept of it that's really upsetting. The actual sh- the actual episode itself is is interesting and shields us from um, any graphic. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, images. Yeah, and yes, and that's a that's the best thing about all of these is like they do really good re- recreations. Like we, we talk about the recreations all the time. These are really well done. Like I don't want to hop back up over the hoop schemes, but the way they did some of those recreations, where it'd be like they they would almost they would ask the bookie guy a question, he would answer the question, and then it would kind of look like then they would go back to headache uh, and it'd be like 
like they were on the phone with each other almost. They would cut like as if they were talking to each other or mm-hmm. they talked about the, the, the last shot that had headache had taken during a game and they had did, did the recreation of the ball slowly like missing. So all of these have really good re- recreations where you don't have to worry. You're not going to see a horse die on this show at all. You know? You're going to see um, a lot of beautiful animals. Um, and some uh, and the use of archival footage in all of these it was as really well. good. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but with the with the show with the show jumping uh, in particular, uh, I used to ride horses as a girl. Uh, I did never own them. I'm not from that kind of family, believe me. Right, we had no money, but uh, I you know rode other people's horses and went to horse camps a couple of times, and I have jumped, and it's the most. It's incredibly exhilarating. Uh, these, I mean, don't be. Don't be killing any animals unnecessarily um, okay. and certainly not for your your greed because you own them. Right. Ugh. All right. So let's finally let's let's uh, quickly go into the last episode. Fallen. Yes. I really like this episode. Um, again, I have no idea what cricket is. Like okay. I. I, I the most I know about it going into this was I watched um, I watch uh what is it on uh, the show on um, the courtship on <laughs> on uh, NBC and the courtship kind of went over the uh, <laughs> the rules of cricket when they did it. So um, <laughs> Sarah, yeah, Sarah's so mad. No. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now I sort of accidentally know about cricket. Um, I uh, used to I had long ago, long ago, last century. Uh, I had a, a partner who was cricket mad. And mm. so I accidentally know all the rules of cricket and I can tell you how to play. I have, nice. in fact, sat through a test match. Now, uh, test matches are five days long, in case you want to know. Wow. Um, so I was uh, wondering that. Thank yeah. you for so when they talk that. about when they talk about well uh, let, let's take a step back so this is um Hansi Kronje who is mm-hmm. who was the captain of the South Africa's uh, cricketing team again as a boy he loved cricket it, it was just natural to him he always spoke about um playing for South Africa and indeed uh, he did he was a beloved figure he's spoken about very highly someone even says you know he's second to Nelson Mandela in terms of uh, South Africa his attitude towards him. Yes. Unfortunately for him, he he comes in to play for South Africa during apartheid, and mm-hmm. uh, during apartheid, other nations would not play uh, international cricket with South Africa. So obviously, for someone right at the top of their game who wants to play internationally, this is uh, not good. Like quite yeah. apart from everything else not that good, apartheid yeah. is wrong for, like leaving that aside, uh, Hansi couldn't play cricket on the international stage. So mm-hmm. I realised I was playing a violin for him. Yeah. Um, but uh, apartheid ends in 1990 and this team bursts onto the stage. They come and play Australia and he is everything that he is cracked up to be. He is a fantastic captain. Now, here we're talking about where's the locus of control. The captain controls everything from the field. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen cricket, there are two people with bats in the middle of the pitch and they're Mm -hmm. surrounded by 11 other people. So that's the batting side and the fielding side. The captain is on the field. He or she can move the uh, fielders around to various positions. So their knowledge of how this batsman 
bats and what their character is and everything can be brought to bear. Um, And they also have control over things like, as we saw, when there's a rain delay. I can't play in the rain. Just a little tip there with cricket. You can't play in the rain. Mm. Uh, where they have the first day of, of play, three days are rained out. Now there's only one day left. This is not enough time to finish the match. <laughs> Believe me, you need five days to finish a full cricket match. Um, wow. And so the first strange thing that people become aware of is uh, South Africa is playing England. It looks like there will be no result. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you don't get a draw. You just get no result if if everybody doesn't get to bat twice, and you get a proper a proper game. Mm-hmm. So as the captain Hansi is able to declare, what that means in the simplest terms is I'm the captain. My team has made so many runs already, which are the points at 650 runs. I don't think your team's going to be able to match that. So instead of finishing through all my batsmen, I declare. I might say, okay, we're going to stop now because we have this fantastic high score and now you chase that score. And what happened was that Hansi Kranje declared at a very low score. And this Mm. was seen as very sporting, giving England the chance to to play and to actually get a result. Little did uh, anyone know he was actually being paid to lose the match and had been from the beginning. Well, he was and, being paid to get a result from that match. Remember? I'm sorry, to get a result yeah. from the match. Mm-hmm. That's right. Thank you for that correction. That's yeah. absolutely right. And unfortunately, he himself says it, although he's not with us today. Unfortunately, he died in a plane crash in 2002. But the access to his family, we have his brother, we have his sister, we have his teammates. Um, but he himself in in a an archival interview talks about his love of money. Yeah. And, again, money just comes in. Here's this talented young man uh, and they cross paths with someone who wants to make a whole lot of money, the offer is made, the offer is taken, yes. and this game is is uh, ruined, I suppose you could say. Right. And this happens. The reason that you may you may wonder why why it's the Indian uh, what the Indian connection is. Uh, cricket is um, is Peace. huge and like huge. They talk about how exciting it is to play in front of these crowds, but they the gambling on cricket in India is also huge, and they will gamble on everything uh mm-hmm. the there's a coin that's tossed at the beginning of a match who will uh, and the person who wins can choose to bat or bowl depending on the state of the pitch and what they're feeling like they bet on that they bet on which hand the batsman will carry the bat out in mm-hmm. they uh, they bet on the rain they bet, on, they the point. They bet on the runs if they have long a watch sleeves. long sleeves short sleeves all of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff um and this is where money is because if you know ahead of time what some of those things are going to be you're going to make money so let me jump in real quick here sarah Mm -hmm. i thought fallen isle if you're looking for like politics this was the one that i think was the most politics heavy because they could not separate uh apartheid from this story um hansi like you said grew up he grew up white in a you know south african suburb from what i understand in Mm -hmm. apartheid yeah they made it very clear that he was not, he did not 
like like apartheid i felt like that's what they try to at least get across and apartheid ending is literally the only reason he was able to become an international sports hero and not only does he become the international sports hero but like he was already before the betting and all of that even came into effect he was one of the most famous people in south africa for at least like i want to say it was like two years at least before he the the um the betting even came into place and i thought this was this is probably my favorite one of them all because i thought it was just it just encompassed everything the south the history of south africa his rise i like how how he the his story of how he was kind of just thrown in there one day as the captain and then became the greatest cricket captain in their their history um but like he's like you said he got so famous he got so many endorsements he got so much money that he just kind of wanted more and then not only that they explain how a bookie can get their claws into you and it him and, and headache had this in common the first time he was approached to fix a game this bookie just gave him thirty thousand dollars um, for a game that he was already going to lose. It, it was it was a foregone conclusion at the very beginning of his career. They found out it, was, it happened at the very beginning of his career. A bookie had him on the line, gave him $30,000 and just said, hey, go out there and play as best you can. You know, we don't, th- you're not going to win, but just play. And he was like, okay. And they lost. He didn't do anything from what it, I understand. He didn't do anything to, to, to help the loss, but now he's in the hole. Now mm-hmm. the bookie has you. Not only this is be- smart, right? It's not saying yes. lose lose when you are going to win. It's look, here's thirty thousand dollars. Now now go and play as you would have played. It's um smart, if I may it, yeah. I'm not and- admiring, but it's smart. It's right. And and it also gets him hooked to the, the easy money. It gets him hooked on the easy money. It gets to him pliable to do maybe other things and this is another one of the ones where we had the bookie one of the bookies he he was in on the show um i loved how they did this though they would show us the match they would tell us about the outcome of the match and then they would go back and tell us like what the bet was or all of that like i thought that was pretty cool um uh, because even the match fixing in India, I was still kind of confused. I was like, okay, so he didn't go through with the match fixing in India. Then they rewind the, the you know, they rewind it. They're like, no, he he did, and um, he got caught up for it because of like Indian wiretapping. They had like mobsters, you know, on on. It's really good. I I would suggest really go and watch. If you watch any of them, watch this one. Um, I, I I really like this one. I th- thought this gave us a, a full picture, and unfortunately, and I and I honestly also thought, uh, like Sarah said, he was he was killed in a like a single engine, a small plane crash. Um, it seemed like a charter flight in 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 uh 2002, and the similarities kind of between him and like the Kobe Bryant of it all, really like if i'm gonna compare it to anything you know so as americans can understand that's what it that's what it is truly it was it's like one of the biggest stars in in athletics going through a scandal you know eventually surviving the scandal but then also dying tragically like that it it was it's such a, a a good episode and i think it was a perfect episode to to end on Um, yeah and don't don't be don't be worried if you don't understand um uh, how to play cricket because they tell you what you need to know they need x number of points and let's watch them get it getting them that they'll take your hand in the same way for me i didn't know about basketball but the uh the episode showed me what i needed to know 
Exactly. So we'll take a quick, quick break. Uh, when we come back, you can hear our talk with Grace. And then after that, stay tuned. Feel free to fast forward. We will give our ratings and recommendations. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power. Loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited. Uh, this is a sort of a unique episode of, of the Offspeed podcast. We're going to recap some TV. I, I mean, I watch all my sports on TV or my phone or whatever, <laughs> uh, but uh, sort of a documentary uh, version. I love documentaries. Uh, Me too. Uh, they're so they're so fun. They're so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. And this uh, this series, I did not venture into the rest of the episodes. Uh, we picked one episode here today that uh, I picked for very personal selfish reasons. <laughs> it was, uh, it's mostly about Canadian pride. Uh, but I was like itching to watch the rest of them as soon as I finished yeah. watching uh, well, this one episode. Once we talk about this episode, everybody, the listeners can go over to our next crime scene episode that drops and we'll go in a little bit more detail to not only this episode, but a few more episodes of Bad Sport. So Grace, once we're done with this, once you go watch the yeah. additional episodes, you can yeah. then go listen to us talk about them. Perfect. Yeah, it's such an excellent series, um, Bad Sport on Netflix, and it ranges over various sports and the badnesses are happening with them. <laughs> uh, no murders, but certainly some yes. very unpleasant goings on. Yeah, so we talked about episode four, which is uh, Gold War. Oh, what a name. That's very good. Very punny. I very much like it. Uh, the it. 2002 Winter Olympics figure skating scandal, which... As somebody who lives in Canada in 2002, this was a really big deal. Uh, this like this was huge. I don't know. Does it? Does it for either of you? Did this? Uh, were you aware of this figure skating scandal before uh, you watched the episode of Bad Sport? So no, I was kind of. Um, I think I said on one of our other podcasts, but like uh, for the 2002 Winter Games, for us, we were still reeling from September 11th. Yeah. So a lot in in you know, and again, it was the first. It was the first time the Olympics had came back to the U.S. since yes. I think Atlanta in '96, which also had a terrorism aspect to it. So um, 
when the funny thing is I was flying unaccompanied for my first time ever and my flight landed in Salt Lake City during the Winter Olympics Whoa. and I just remember this was when they had completely upped the security and we landed and they had like they brought dogs on they brought like they brought wow. all sorts of stuff on me and my my brother were just sitting there like two accompanied unaccompanied minors like what is happening and it just never like the 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 figure skating aspect of it never really reached me because first off I was young yes. and in America we were just kind of focused on ourselves to be quite honest mm, right yeah. at that that point yeah did it hit did it hit Australian news waves at all Sarah Oh, look, I'm sure it did. I was blissfully unaware of yeah. uh, all these goings on. It's interesting, um, a couple of the other um, documentaries, the, the cricketing scandal in particular, uh, brought memories flooding back because, of, yes. of course, Australia is a great cricketing nation, so we knew all about uh, Hansi Kranja, and uh, Marie and I will talk about that later. Uh, we're not big figure skaters. No. <laughs> Not a, oh. Not a lot of ice. Not a lot of ice. We play tennis. We sail. Uh, we. Um, you won we, two medals in this Olympics. Uh, I couldn't tell you who what they were in, but I do see the table. Australia won two medals, two gold medals. Some some okay. some species of skiing or probably or speed skating. Or, There's always Australians in speed skating. Mm, yeah, maybe. Well, well, we have the the, the most the one famous, of the most famous yeah. gold medals yeah. uh, in the world in uh, in speed skating. So who yes. Yes. He was on Survivors, on Australian Survivor, right? Australian uh, Steve Bradbury. Yeah, he's the oh. guy who where the people fell, right? And he he glided across the finish line. That's his. Story. Yeah, and they fell in his semifinal as well. Wow. So when he was oh, accused whoa. of you just kind of hung back and got a gold medal, he said, no, it was all completely strategic. <laughs> I knew they would all fall over each other. So in a six-person final, uh, he was last the entire way, and then the top five fell over each other, and he said, "Oh my god, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's mm-hmm. it's really amazing." Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, figure skating at the 2002 Winter Olympics. The 2002 Winter Olympics uh, for me, I would I would I would have been like 11 at the time, so I'm kind of like right at the age where like uh, you know I'm in school, so I feel like there was a lot of pride about this particular Olympics, especially as a Canadian. Uh, Canada won both. Uh, I think I believe in men's hockey and women's hockey won the gold, uh, which was oh, a wow. really a really great moment. Uh, th- I think I believe there's rumors that like uh, the Canadians managed to hide uh, a loony under the center ice, uh, which mm. uh, uh, I think irked maybe some of the other competitors, especially the Americans, that we had snuck a loony under the ice. Uh, but some believe that that was superstition, and that that's how we won uh, the gold medal. So this was like I feel like a highly what you know, especially the North American aspect mm-hmm. of it it's like this you know um we recently had uh the olympics uh on and uh in beijing and uh just like the timing right is like was the weird part where like you kind of wake up and you're watching the stuff from before but when it's in north america uh all the timing is like pretty much perfect uh to watch in yeah. prime time so especially as like an 11 year old and then on top of that uh my my mom in particular is a very big figure skating fan so i feel like uh yeah figure oh. skating was on a lot uh in my household um but uh yeah this this scandal so basically uh as as the show sh- uh, shows russia is has been very dominant in pairs figure skating for at this point 40 years they've 40 never years. lost that's right such a i have time. not lost a gold in 40 years incredible wow incredible yeah uh, yeah, part of sort of the like Russian, you know, story, uh, the success story is to just load up with gold medals, particularly in Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, show that they're like superior. Yeah. Pretty smart. 
Pretty great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an extraordinary idea. You take these uh, young children, as we see uh, the skater who wins the gold. Uh, she is a very young girl when she's spotted and taken away to be under the coaching of Tamara Moskvina, uh, who is the most uh, wonderful narrator, uh, perhaps not very reliable. Uh-huh. We see Tamara in her heyday. We also see her today uh, where she denies that uh, any impropriety, impropriety happened. Uh, she offers her hand to be cut off if uh, any cheating is uh, is detected. Um, yeah. And she is a, she's a sort of fierce coach that you know the mm-hmm. kids absolutely adored because they wanted to work uh, uh-huh. I think it's part of part of the culture and she seems to be very affectionate towards them uh, yeah. she drives them hard but she's extremely affectionate and loving so she's not that cold uh, do what I say coach and walk away and the other extraordinary thing about about the Russians is they have the ballet background Right. Uh, yes. So they have a very strong um, ballet background. So there's an incredible lyrical quality to it. And as our wonderful Canadian skater says, uh, the Canadians were much more in the physicality and athletic side. And herein lies the tale, right? Because it's not you jumped this far, it's measurable. You ran this quickly, it's measurable. Uh-huh. In figure skating, it's a sport, but uh-huh. there is a subjective uh, score given by very experienced judges. Um, I mean, if somebody falls down, that's unequivocal, but their opinions are what the scandal relies on, if I have it right. No, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's totally right. I think the idea that, um, you know, if you sort of, you, the, the, the idea here, I think, in the defense of some of these judges is that, well, yeah, the Russians might have, you know, slipped slightly. Uh, not even like majorly, but if their routine is harder to pull off, then that should be worth more than someone doing an easier routine uh, subject that that uh, you pulled off perfectly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, from what little I know about gymnastics, that's how gymnastics is. But I do want to just point out one thing about tomorrow that I really liked was when she was talking about how like she's like, Russia does not kill people if they don't win gold medals. Like the way she said that had me cracking up. She's like, I know that's what y'all think, but that's not what happens. And I think she showed like a lot of like a loving that Sarah had said or tenderness towards her, her charges. When we heard about Elena, the, you know, the Russian um, figure skater, um, the woman who was in a, a pairing with another guy named Oleg, who was apparently very harsh Oleg. and aggressive to her. And he used to like hit her. And then during they were practicing parallel spins and his skate pierced her skull and sent yeah. fragments into her brain and to the point where they thought Elena wasn't ever going to skate again. So I really liked that. Um, like I loved how this documentary showed you the parallel journeys of both the Canadian pair skaters and the Russian um, pair skaters, because um, Elena could have just not even made it to this, this Olympics because she could have not even ever walked again, but to not only walk again, skate again, find uh, a partner and an Anton in order to make a run for the gold is just an amazing story. And I'm glad they at least got to, to talk about that part before we got to the, like the scandal of it all, you know? 
I agree too yeah. because there's a, something that the show, the, the documentary is do, it does, I think, quite well is that um, you know there is this lingering question about whether uh, the, the Russian skaters ever knew that this this um, that, that there was uh, this judging scandal, whether they were ever looped in or not. The, mm-hmm. the documentary does not make a de- you know declare a definitive statement that yes, there right. was proof or no that they did not know. And so I think because of that, I think I think they do a good job here of not necessarily trying to make it seem. Uh, it would be very easy to say. Russia bad, Canada good. That's right. that's the story. And I think that what makes it more intriguing is somebody like Elena, who from a very young age was trying to be a figure skater, uh, goes through, you know, turmoils of being a professional athlete. You know, people like I think joke about like, wouldn't it be great, you know, my dream job to be a professional athlete? Like it is still very, very hard thing to do. Uh, and, and even, you know, uh it's interesting that you're like your take I th- I thought Sarah that like Tamara comes off as like is known as this like beloved uh Russian figure skating coach because uh, you know from the doc I, I did do some reading apparently she is like very she that sort of is her reputation the documentary yeah. I don't know whether that is fully the impression that that I got I feel like if anybody mm. gets painted a little bit in the like especially I think it mostly comes from the defending of like there was no scandal uh yeah yeah. yeah she gives herself away in the in the now uh she she is very unequivocal. Uh, she offers her hand to be cut off. She mm-hmm. says people aren't killed if they don't get gold medals. And as soon as she says it, I thought, oh, I'd never thought that. But now I think it because she you said never thought that. happened. No, That's but, a um, dumb American thing that we yeah, all thought. So yeah. it, but I'm not in, surprised. Yeah. In the photographs and in the, in the back in the day, um, in the back in the day footage, I saw her as a very loving and warm and supportive while being strict. And she also uh, is not fond of Oleg, who, you know, presumably mm-hmm. was an excellent skater, but because he was unpleasant and violent towards his partner, I think uh, for Tamara that doesn't that doesn't do at all. But also it was, so, I feel like it's her, it was her choice eventually to be like, I'm, I'm going to skate with somebody else rather than Tamara, this coach being like, like I almost feel like if it was working, even though he was abusive, that she she might, like I, I don't think she comes off great in this uh Really? Yeah, I don't oh, think so. so Maybe yeah. I'd be. I do. How many? I watched it. I don't. I watched it twice. I also watched I, it twice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay. I thought. I don't know. I thought it. I don't know. I think. I guess. I guess it just. I just guess it just matters. I don't think that she came off like a Russian boogeyman for sure. And I truly don't think like it, like once we get into the scandal, I truly don't think that any of the the Russian like the skaters or her knew anything about the fixing. I mean, honestly, I would just, she might have known. She might have known. I don't, definitely oh, not the skaters. Not, I like yeah. the okay, let's, point of view. Let's, yeah. get in, let's get into it. So, so basically, let's, so look, we have actually, mentioned yeah. Jamie Saleh and David Pelletier, oh. who are the Canadians. Uh, mm-hmm. And yes, I don't think the documentary takes sides, but somehow they are heroic because they were the ones that were robbed. So it's not really, I mean, obviously, if you're Canadian, you're on their side. But as you watch the documentary, um, uh, Jamie and David are the ones whose side you're on because they feel that they were robbed of this gold medal that was rightfully theirs. And the documentary certainly leans us in that direction. Yeah. So uh, James Lee and David Peltier, uh, like, have, have Canadian household names. Maybe people would disagree. Maybe mm. maybe that's just the leader household name. 
but mm-hmm. two of two of the most famous uh, uh, Canadian uh, figure skaters of all time, particularly because of this uh, performance. Like they, you know, the idea that they would have dethroned uh, most likely, uh, you know, this forty-year run uh, of, of the Russians, and the fact that they, you know, there is there are a couple. There's um, there's another uh, couple. I'm really struggling to forget their name. There are more recent, like very successful uh, pairs figure skating uh, a couple, and that was always the thing with them. It's like, oh, are they are they a couple? And they're not. And so, and then they like have other partners and i feel like there is this weird thing that we're doing like it shouldn't matter but it does matter because it like we're like oh they're skating in their love and the documentary does this as well uh shows mm-hmm. us this so uh you know she they both had partners that you know were not working and they eventually find each other uh and they're they're incredible they're really great and um leads up to the 2002 winter games there is a little bit of a you know a note in here before the um or an event before the actual performances in which uh, uh, Soleil and uh, Anton run into each other uh, right. on, on the ice in practice, which uh, there's some suggestion that perhaps maybe that was on, on purpose. I think the only person who says that is uh, the Soleil and Peltier's um, uh, agent. So I, I you well, know, I don't right. know. It, I think on the replay, it, I think it does look like an accident. And I almost think that yeah. it looks like Jamie uh, runs into Anton. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. she's the one looking away. So, you know, in, anyway, interesting. Yeah. I re, I had, I, that was one of the parts that I rewound it every time I watched. Like I did, I had, I had to watch it like over and over again because I'm like, it truly just looked like they, they honestly collided. But I, I wish that we had seen because the shot that they really focus in on the documentary is basically right before they collide, like, like two, a second before they actually collide. I really wish we could have seen the footage like a little bit further before the collision. You know what I'm saying? To see what mm. the, both the, the trajectories were that concluded in the con- uh, collision. I would have loved to see that. Um, yeah, I mean, Jamie, Jamie herself, she says uh, something like, oh, I could see them out of the corner of my eye and I expected them to take this particular route. So right. I, I, I don't think it's deliberate. I think it's just it adds to the sort of the salacious feeling of it. But I think it was just one of those things that happened. She fell. She was taken away. She was shaken. But uh, she eventually could skate uh, mm-hmm. uh, apparently unharmed. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it, I think it's interesting and it's in there and you can kind of like play around with it a little bit. But I think mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, it, I, to, in my opinion, it seems like neither of them are full. And I certainly don't think right. that uh, Jamie Soleil is like intentionally running into Anton. So I feel like it's a mistake. Uh, he he you know, certainly very swiftly goes to pick her up. I mean, yeah. yes, yeah. you just like an, an absolute automatic reaction. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the couple I was thinking of is uh, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moore. I don't know if either, but they're the most decorated figure skaters in Olympic history. Uh, oh, wow. Eventually become uh, quite the duo, uh, Virtue and Moyer, uh, in Canadian history. So, yeah, we've had some 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 big name figure skaters in, in Canada. But uh, so they, uh, the the mm-hmm. Russians perform first. Uh, they they do their performance. As I say, it's a very like, you know, ballet-esque, uh, this very artistic uh, right. piece. Uh, there are a couple, uh, you know, uh, they say, Kind of two mistakes with one in particular being uh, when Anton um, does a does a, a spin and sort of lands uh, a little bit funky. Yeah, they sort of finish their their performance and they get rated very highly. Uh, you know, people are saying uh, even these, the the journalists are saying, yeah, the scores probably mostly match up with what they what they did. Those are like you know gold medal performing, uh, and it's it's a very very good performance. Even though there are some mistakes, it feels like perhaps right. the mistakes aren't uh, you know maybe taken fully into account, but probably overall. It's not, you know, that far off. Seems to be yeah. at least what the documentary tells us. Yeah, I mean, it seems like 
the sorry, sorry, Sarah, but it seemed like the argument was between was it a mistake or was it just small details like um, that that were missed? You know, it was like was it three major mistakes or was it small mm, details that were messed mm. up? Tamara says it's details. I mean, right, interesting exactly. thing because the audience there are very, it seems to me, because of their reaction, are extremely um, erudite and understand figure skating because when he makes the slip, they make a noise. It's a yeah. noise yeah. Mm-hmm. that Jamie and David actually hear backstage. They're yeah. not watching. They're deliberately not watching. But she clocks it and she says, oh, they've made a mistake. So um, the Canadian judge, Benoit Lavoie, he says, it's three mistakes, but it looks like it's that one that what it's I the, would the call visible a stumble, slight right? stumble. Yeah, yeah the exactly. the one where they say it's the tw- the landing on the twist. I like watch it. I'm like that looks perfect. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Very clearly cannot be mm-hmm. a figure skating judge because he's yeah. like, yeah, they didn't quite land it. It's him like twist. She's twisting and he catches her. And if you're, you know something about the way he caught her is not exactly how you're supposed yeah, to catch her. Yeah, it wasn't smooth. Mm-hmm. But yeah. to me, to my like untrained <laughs> eye, I can't tell the difference. So. The, the fact remains that as you as you say, Grace. Uh, you, the, the mistake is not like, oh, automatic de- deduct points. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the judges are going to keep that into consideration. But if it's a very difficult thing that you're trying to do, the level of difficulty raises all the scores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, on the technical merit, uh, the United States, Poland, Canada and Japan all rank a little bit lower a 5.7 versus a 5.8 from everybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. They get uh, nearly perfect scores on presentation, except for Canada, who get, uh, Canada and Germany give them a 5.8. Uh, then uh, Jamie and uh, and David, who did not watch the performance, as you were saying, very interesting that they just chose to sort of, you know, let's focus on what we're doing. They go out there and, you know, uh, this is it is this is a very memorable performance, especially for like this Canadian folks. Uh, but I, I just love the way the documentary, like, you know, tells the tale of this like beautiful love story. They talk about um, the song they they chose uh, is this American song. They're on American soil. So sort of playing uh-huh. in, into something. I, I love the journal saying like, that's not cheating. It's, it's just <laughs> figure skating. You know, uh, the idea that like you could pick a song uh, that <laughs> you pick an American song that would be cheating uh, is hilarious. But they, they pull off this rather impressive performance they you know sort of uh middle towards the end they pull off uh this maneuver that you know is the trickiest for them to perform and they, they pull it off and jamie is like basically saying like we've basically we've done it because everything else we're going to nail which they basically they do they it's uh it's a near perfect uh at least you know i guess the near perfect the scores are it was a perfect six uh mm-hmm. right but uh yeah they get basically 5.8 5.9s across the board but uh yeah the scandal of the of the of the episode then when the when uh Five out of the the nine judges uh, give Russia the the edge. Uh, yeah. So a few things here. So first off, the announcer, like I love how they, <laughs> they had the broadcast, and the announcer was like, "Throw that's a triple the, loop in the gold." That's got to like that's got to be the Canadian broadcast. Uh, yeah. Well, be, like yeah. I mean, the crowd erupts too. It's like yes. like like Sarah said. The, hopefully, the crowd who's there and paying to, to do figures, they they know what they're watching and. Like everybody said, it seemed like that was a gold medal skate, um, which is why when the scores come up, they get second, people boo. You know, it was really interesting um, to see that because that's what it felt like. It was a setup. It was like, oh, everybody is expecting them to to get the gold. But uh, Grace, can you can you maybe go a little bit deeper into the scoring, like how the scoring truly works? 
Um, so I, I, yeah, I know it's a six point uh, system. I know that they, they don't use that system, uh, anymore. Any, anymore. Right. Um, and so it, it does, see, I, I, I'm not sure if the, so they, they also talk about the placement. Um, yeah. but it does seem to just be like, I, I'm, I'm sure that it's just like your total score added up, but they do also then have the placement, which I'm not sure is whether, that's yeah, what like the more? judges uh actually ranked you do you know sir if that's what the judges right. ranked you or if that just you know you ranked them you gave them more points so therefore you did place them higher well this this or unless I'm there's not, a tie maybe anyway yeah it, it seemed to me and i would have liked to just a touch more process here from mm-hmm. the documentary but it seemed to me that they get their points but then the placement is then the judges discretion's the wrong word it's not simply you add up all your scores and whoever has the highest score wins and i think this is where the scandal was able to happen because the four eastern bloc judges uh gave it to russia um that was russia china poland and ukraine and the four westerns for the canadians canada us germany and japan uh and it was the French judge who broke the tie for the Russians. So I would like to know whether it's, it, it can't just be that you add up the points and whoever has the most points gets the gold. There must be this discretionary placement uh, decision that's made. Well, I'm also wondering, so like China gives uh, uh, the Russians a 5.8 and a 5.9 and then flips that for the Canadians, gives a 5.9 and a 5.8. But then so because those scores are then tied, uh, presumably the placement can then say, well, if it's an exact tie, I would give uh, Russia, China, right, Russia yeah, above, above Canada. Whereas very clearly, if Russia gave, you know, Russia gives a, a 5.8 and a 5.9 and then a 5.8 and a 5.8. So very clearly, just on the numbers alone, you presume that they would place Russia one and Canada two. But I presume it's when there perhaps is a tie, um, uh, that you, that I, I don't know. I, I'm trying, I was quickly trying to glance through the Wikipedia. It does not yeah. really tell me, uh, it says you award two marks. I'm assuming the placement then comes when there's a tie uh is my is my very best guess but i don't i don't honestly honestly know yeah, yeah. so now the 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 focus is on marie ren lagunyak the french uh, judge who is the one that that breaks the tie if you want to look at it from east the east and west um place and now the skullduggery begins with um late night calls to journalists Tears, confessions, retractions. Can I, one of you I, untangle all of that? Well, I couldn't. I was. I found it a little bit hard to believe that. Like, we get most of this in like the last twenty minutes of the. Like, basically, yeah. like, less with less than twenty minutes of the episode. They're like, "Yep, so uh, Russia wins," and then we're gonna figure out how it's all solved. And like, I guess the part of the thing that happens here, I think, with the with this episode, is that. Um, certainly a, a decision is made to award Canada a gold medal as well, which I remember being very controversial, uh, mm-hmm. at, at the time that, that they shared the gold medal. Uh, Jamie sort of talks about this in the moment saying like, it's a little bittersweet to like stand on the podium with the people that like, you know, she doesn't say this. She's, she, uh, implies, she even says when they are standing on the silver medal podium that like, 
she was trying so hard to not look like she was being a bad sport. Right. Uh, inter- yeah, interesting. Name of the episode. I like points at the about the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> at the screen. Um, but uh, yeah, they eventually are also awarded gold medals uh, due to um, them finding that they believe that there's evidence of bribery, basically. And if the documentary seems to tell us that the biggest piece of evidence is there's evidence that um, uh, as long as uh, France will put Russia ahead in the pair skating. Then Russia will put France ahead in uh, ice, ice dancing. dancing, ice dancing, mm-hmm. yeah. which they don't, um, which they which don't. They don't so do. mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I also didn't look into this. I wonder whether that event happens afterwards and the immediate backlash of like, because I, I do wonder, does this ever, is there ever any investigation into this? If, if the Russians just have a better skate, if, if, if the, <laughs> the performances are reversed uh, and, you know, France, like, you know, I'll, I'll put the first, like they were the best, <laughs> you know, so, uh, that it's just a safe gate. It's just a safeguard. And because it gets a little bit explo- exposed in such this obvious way that then I wonder if the ice dancing is later and, and Russia's like, well, we can't, we can't have win, even though they did, I guess they did win anyway. So it's very interesting. But. So let me break this down a little bit because yeah. this, this goes really fast. Like all it's of this really goes fast. really fast. Yes. So once, once they get awarded on the, the podium, like that day, it's like um, Russia gets gold, Canadians get silver. And, you know, Jamie says she's trying not to be a poor sport. The next night, that judge, Marie, Marie, Marie Rain, whatever Sarah yeah. said, yeah. <laughs> she she starts talking to like another judge like, oh, my God, it was my fault. I pressured I them to do it. Yep. Yeah. Not only that, but the Canadian figure skaters are being told everywhere they go on all of the news platforms that like, hey, you guys were robbed. Hey, you guys are robbed. Also, their PR guy is working a hundred times because hey, he said he's booking them on everything. I saw it all. I saw it all. They were yes. on the new, like because they get their medal within five days of the competition happening. Like, yes. They're still in Salt Lake City when they exactly. get their medal. And like, yes. yeah, they were all over the place. The fact that they were like in America, like I think does wonders for like this PR PR stuff, yeah. there, you know, whatever. But it, like I to get them everywhere, yeah. uh, that doesn't happen probably quite as much if like they're in Beijing. It's yeah. important to note as well that the the gold medal is not taken away from the Russians. Right. Just an additional gold medal is given to the Canadian pair. And when the presentation happens, uh, the two women are holding hands, the two men are holding hands as they all four of them stand. Uh, so the, the, the Russians are there for the presentation. Uh, they right. don't uh, just get it solo, yes. uh, which but, uh, I thought was very much to do with front-facing uh, you know, reparations. Well, they say yeah. as well that, that uh, Gal Go gives the, is the one to actually can the medal, and, and like, David's like, I was so annoyed that it was him because he's the head of the figure skating committee, and he's like, this scandal happened under you, and like, the idea that you would have you come and do, even though, like, you know, you're not you're not saying, yeah, the Canadians should have won. Canada doesn't, like, the thing for me that, like, it's, it, it really doesn't matter you know, but for me, the like very small thing that I always that I'll, I think about with this is that like that moment of like, yeah, having the flag raised, singing the national anthem, like Jamie and David never really get that moment. Um, you know, if you truly believe that they had the better performance that they should have deserved one, they never really get that. Uh, and said so they have to like sort of share this moment with somebody else, which, uh, you know, it is what it is. But like, that's the thing that I and so like he's annoyed in that moment to be like, up here with them and then like you're gonna come and give me my medal like come on like whatever well, uh see, so, that's why yeah. I, that's why i want to get into this a little bit because they got their they got those two medals um rewarded a uh, uh, fact check me on this grace but it was like 11 days after your initial competition something because, like that yeah 
within that time frame, a whole quote unquote investigation happened. So Marie tells a, another judge that she was pressured. It gets out. It gets out to the press. She then goes to the press and says, yes, I was pressured to vote for the Russians because of the French uh, figure skating president uh, Didier said that she needed to in order for, like you said, for um, Russia to place the, the ice dancing for um, France high. And apparently Didier um, okay. was not yeah, uh, uh, cheating was not new at this point. There had already been several point scoring scandals under yes. his watch. Yes. Um, but because of this, it then got up to the FBI because the FBI was watching all the PR stuff, um, the, the Salt Lake City uh, FBI, the Utah FBI. And they were actually, um, I don't know if it was them, but somebody was tapping a Russian mobster's phone. And during a wiretap, they heard that the Russian mobster basically alluded to bribing um, the French judges or being involved in uh, the, this bribery scandal. Yes. Um, so this then came back to, uh, what was, who's the guy that um, that you said uh, who had to give them the, the gold? Didier Gale. Didier Gale. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Both Didier so just- and Marie were suspended and that's when Canada and Russia shared the gold. So they really did all of this so quickly. The, in the mm-hmm. meantime, Jamie and David were on Rosie. They were on the Tonight Show. They were like, like Grace said, because they were in the states, they were able to go to hit all of the big shows. Um, and it was, it really goes to show you, like it, it, like is that was that an investigation? Like what the FBI's? I feel like was good, but then the the figure skating dude who gave them the medals seemed kind of like, eh, you know. Yeah, look, I, I, I think you're right. So our, our friend Bill McCausland is the FBI agent, a figure yeah. skating fan um, right. who uh-huh. was watching the figure skating. Uh-huh. So he was fascinated to be involved with this. And they are looking at, you know, Russian uh, mob. Uh, our friend Tamara tells us that there is no Russian mob. Where are um, they? With their glasses? Where are they? Glasses? Where are they? Oh, right. I don't yeah, see yeah. them. Um, so <laughs> the, the investigation from, from the FBI, I think is, is good and true, let us say, but the figure skating association, the Olympic committee, uh, you know, as we saw with, um, with Icarus to get any of these big international sporting organizations to change, to do a proper investigation. There was an idea of, oh, we will intend to start an investigation at some point in the future uh, from the fiscators. Uh, it's, it's very strange. So I think what the upshot of the investigation was, was uh, suspend Murray Wren. She'll never be able to judge ever again and give a gold medal to the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's the compromise. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm trying. I was trying to find. I know that on, it's February 15th that they get the, which is the press conference, which basically says, "Okay, we're gonna give them uh, gold medals." And I'm not sure exactly when they get them, but I, I, mm. um, I am trying to find. I can't the, on the Wikipedia page. They're not showing the date that the actual, uh, uh, you know, uh, sure, figure sure. skating competition was, but that's okay. It's very, it's very all very, very quick. Um, yeah. 
yeah. it feels fast. It feels like they wanted it solved. Yes. Um, they also, uh, Didier Gage is also suspended. And Yelena is with us today saying gold medals for everyone. Everyone yeah. can have a gold medal. World and peace. I thought, yeah, world peace. Yeah. And I thought, yes, I mean, for her and uh, Anton, uh, as far as they knew, they won. And they stood on that number one spot and the Russian flag came down and the anthem was played. So they are damaged by this as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great look. I mean, uh, Russia is not uh, in the year 2022 is also not, uh, you know, uh, far removed from Russian figure skating scandals. Uh, still participating in right. this day. Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, for, I feel like uh, figure skating is, uh, you know, there's something about it that feels like in the same in the same world as sort of uh, sometimes like soccer and things like that, where. Yeah, there is just like a ton of there is like a fair bit of like scandal in this little uh, this little world that like you wouldn't really expect, I think, based on like, you know, the image that it presents. Uh, but therefore, like, you know, I think it re- the most I think, you know, the obvious reason they say at the, at the beginning of the of the episode, right, is that figure skating is art. It's both sport and art. And, and because mm-hmm. the judging is uh, objective or sorry, subjective rather than objective, you know, that it. Yeah, it, it leads itself open to. uh scandal to 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 you know controversy and cheating um so yeah it's a uh, very you know the the scandal this year was was more so about uh, performance enhancing uh you know uh stuff but uh which is not unusual to sports in itself uh mm-hmm. and not uh yeah but uh yes very I, I i thought the episode was fun i think that there's like you know it's a 40 minute episode i believe mm-hmm. that there was a, a documentary released uh this year meddling i think it's called uh it's done by nbc and it's a four-part uh a documentary series on this specific scandal. I might be really, to, yeah, I might be Four interested parts. to look at that. Yeah, well, that there's a bunch a of stuff. Uh, Jamie and David. I'm, I was actually kind of surprised this wasn't in here. You know, when I was talking, Sarah, about like that, there's a little bit of like shades of shades of gray. I think, especially with the people who would put in the villain category, very clearly, it's not shades of gray with the Canadians. Like they're very clearly the good the good guys. I think like Elena is certainly the the most interesting person in this story to me. They say at the end like they're not really sure if they're ever involved. She agrees to sit down and be in the interview. Um, but like a big you know one of the other things that happened is like Jamie and David uh had like a pretty severe bout of the flu before the olympics and like so their wow. their ability to be able to perform i think was also in question because they were recovering uh from this flu like it was like you know they're gonna be able to be in tip-top shape if they like missed a few days you know uh almost oh. you know really selling the underdog story of mm-hmm. uh of our lovely little canadian figure skaters right that's not really in there it's not important to the scandal at all right. so it doesn't matter it's more you know for like my you know history of like the, the story of these two people uh it's important but for this particular story it's not important but you know yeah four parts four parts in the nbc miniseries so maybe we'll find out about the scoring and, and look at and it has to be said that the that the four skaters all skated together in um whatever it's called stars, stars, on, stars ice. on ice yeah so it, it's it's the stuff swirling around these, you know, fairly young, uh, driven athletes, uh, very, very talented athletes, and they are just the, the still centres of all of these uh, scandals and politics and, uh, uh, and, and so on. And so you see them. You see them particularly being, I don't want to say the word victim. Victim's not the right word, but right. through no fault of their own, they are the centre of this. And Yelena is certainly, as she's with us today, very entertaining uh, and I think probably still living her best life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought, I thought overall it was uh, enjoyable. It was fun to sort of have for me to have this sort of nostalgic throwback to definitely this like scandalous period in Canadian sports uh, history. I feel like it's a little bit overshadowed by some of the other accomplishments that Canada sort of accomplished at the time. But, but this uh, to me was, it was a big deal. Okay, we are back. Um, and we just had such a wonderful talk with Grace. We're so glad that we got to speak with her. That was an amazing podcast to do. Um, and I'm glad we could pull her into our world and she could pull us into hers. But let's get into the ratings. Yes. Sarah, yes. So let's rate, let's rate it all just all together. I, you know, I don't think we need to go episode by episode, really. We can, I guess I already said what we already said what our favorite ones are. So what is your ratings for the docuseries Bad Sport on Netflix? <sighs> Well, look, I'm tempted to give it a five. We, but we have said we reserve five for the absolutely outstanding. This is yes. very close to a five for me. Very the close, yes. only reason I would ding it is because of the need for weed. I just, yeah, it, extremely well made episode, but it for me tonally didn't I know they're all standalone didn't fit, right but they mm-hmm. do hang together and they sort of as as we've discussed they sort of refer to each other so right. I'm going to give it a, a four and a half magnifying glasses out of five um, and as I said my favorite was football gate but I also liked all of them very very much how about you Murray Exactly. I, I am spot on here with you. I will give it a 4.5 as well because because need, need for Weed being the weakest link. But honestly, I think all of these episodes are great. And I think the, the best thing about them is you don't have to watch them all. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We, you know, we gave you um, quick synopsis of all of them, but you can still go back and watch them and enjoy them, even knowing everything we told you and again if you just want to watch hoop schemes you can just watch hoop schemes if you just want to watch fallen idol with cronier you can just watch that one and it, it feels like no pressure to have to actually watch the whole uh the whole season and i and i love stuff like that so um yeah definitely absolutely well yeah well mm-hmm. said look they're very well made the access is extraordinary the process is is beautifully laid out you always know where you are uh you come away learning stuff and and thinking and we like to think exactly. uh, should we move on to our recommendations we have a couple of listener recommendations uh today so mm-hmm. mary has suggested a podcast for us it's bed of lies bed bed of lies mm-hmm. this comes from the telegraph uh in uh, in um, britain so season one uh, investigative journalist cara mcgugan uh investigated the undercover policeman who infiltrated uh, left-wing activist groups in the 90s and uh, the early aughts. Uh, these undercover police officers had relationships with activists, they had children with them, and it was a yeah. huge scandal and inquiry. This is I've uh, heard, this is season one. I have yet to listen to season two, which is on a different matter. But this is an extraordinary uh, piece of work. The, wow. The... Bloody Great. bastards. Yes, I know. <laughs> like you, you can rage walk as you listen to it. Uh, thanks, mm-hmm. Lara Bricker. She likes to rage walk as she gets angry about it. <laughs> uh, but it's extremely well made. It's very complex. And Kara uh, uh, McGugan has a fantastic way of saying, remember this thing from two episodes ago? And, in fact, at the beginning she says, look, don't worry about trying to remember all of this. I will, 
I will tell you as we go along. So it's fascinating. Um, they say it's stolen identity, size and corruption. And it is, it's gobsmacking as our friends across the pond would say. So <laughs> thank you, Mary, for that recommendation. Awesome. Um, and in response to so many of our listeners, we will be covering Captive Audience in a few weeks. Uh, it is on Hulu if you want to watch it before we talk about it. Um, and we'll let you know when uh, we will be discussing it. So just send us your comments and questions. Uh, we love recommendations. You see, we, we've turned your recommendations into episodes. <laughs> <laughs> So let's also just, I want to just uh, acknowledge a review we got as well while we're here. Um, we got a review from, it looks like uh, I mean, it's Crepogle on <laughs> Apple <laughs> iTunes. Uh, I, I know. Uh, That's K- why you're reading it because I couldn't, you know. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Yep. I'm not sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. The The subject is love the podcast. Uh, I am so excited to see a true crime podcast in the RHAP universe. Love listening to Mari, Sarah, and their guests talk about a variety of true crime shows. Uh, well, we love that you love us. Thank you so much. And again, at Crime Scene, we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP. That's C-R-I-M-E-S-E-E-N-R-H-A-P on Twitter. Or you can email us uh, at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. That's seen as an S-E-E-N. Um, so, Sarah, where can the people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. How about you? You can always find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's too like the number two. Um, I will plug that me and um, Chappelle just finished the sixth episode of Atlanta. This season has taken us on a roller coaster ride. So go check us out over on Post Show Recaps. Um, and we are covering the third season of Atlanta. Uh, Sarah, I know you got a lot of podcasts. Come on, plug the podcast, girl. <laughs> uh, Bridgerton over on uh, Post Show Recaps. We've finished uh, the episode by episode, uh, but we have one more little treat to drop, which is our feedback show uh, where we answer your questions, AMA. Uh, our mm-hmm. flag means death. I'm still going to plug that hashtag renew our flag means death because I know people are finding that series. Uh, slowly and enjoying it and wondering why they hadn't been told about the pirates before. Well, I've told you all about the pirates along with the <laughs> uh, with Grace Leader and Brooklyn said they're also on um, post-show recaps. So next time on Crime Scene, we have a treat for our murderinos. Yep. <laughs> want murder, we hold back the murder, then we give you the murder. Yep. Uh, we're looking at Dream Killer, uh, which is available on Netflix. It's a wrongful conviction case, and Murray, we've been wanting to do a wrongful conviction case right from the start. We knew that was one mm-hmm. of the areas we wanted to look at. Um, now, if you watch the most recent season of Amazing Race, you will recognise the subject. It's Ryan Ferguson, and he ran in a team with uh, Dusty. So who else could we ask to join us to break it all down but RHAP's Chief Amazing Race Correspondent, Jessica Lease. So mm-hmm. that's going to be very exciting. You can send us your comments and questions on Dream Killer for us and for Jess, uh, and we will bring that to you next week. 
Yes. And of course, thanks to Will from America for the theme music and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case Case closed. closed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.